your friends behind. Cause your friends don't cast, and if they don't cast, well, they're no friends of mine. Take it, Steve. We can bot if you wanna. We can something, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Dude, nailed it. Yeah. The safety dance. Hell yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, we commented on it last week, but I think it's high time, like, internet commenters get on just how good we are at intros. God, fucking killing the game. Welcome, listeners, <laughs> to this week's episode of Dead and Lovely, your new favorite horror movie review podcast, here with the host with the most, Uncle Ben Eller, and who's that man on that West Coast Skype line? Why, it's me, Hollywood Steve Spratling. Oh, Hollywood Steve, how's them, them Hollywood Hills been treating you lately? Oh man, the Hollywood Hills, they've been great. I like to go up into them and fight coyotes. Mm, um, mm. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, like to like to trespass in the area near the Hollywood sign. Just I like to I like to go like full on um, just tourists sometimes. Mm, good call. Yeah. I'll I'll uh, I'll get off. <laughs> this is this is a great joke for anybody who lives in LA. I'll get off the 101 at Gower. <laughs> And I'll just park and walk towards the Hollywood sign, am I right? I mean, ah. I totally get the joke. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> now, we're recording this on the old 4th, F-O-R-F, of July. Are you having yourself a good old 4th of July celebration, Steve? Um, yeah. My wife and I will be watching uh, fireworks uh, downtown L.A. We're going to be up on a roof on a, a tall building mm -hmm. uh and you can just see you can see for miles uh, all around it's it's really nice i hope that you're not bringing old salem t boogans with you because that dog is going to be <sighs> um, scared of a firework yeah she is uh because um this is an interesting thing that i really love about my neighborhood because i'm from the south uh i am used to the fourth of july being a two week long celebration oh my god yes <laughs> where you, you hear fireworks just randomly throughout the night for two weeks. Well, um, Koreatown in L.A., uh, in my neighborhood, it's exactly the same. Um, so, really? Yeah, she she has been responding uh, negatively to fireworks. And sometimes the fireworks will set off like four to five car alarms. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> so that's fun. You got some Korean damn rednecks out there. Well, yeah. Uh, as I've said before, this is a uh, predominantly like Latino uh, neighborhood of Koreatown. And so, like, yeah, fireworks are a big thing. There's actually... This is a really cool thing I, I love about my block. Um, on Friday nights especially, uh, for about two blocks there, just all these vendors set up on this really narrow uh, sidewalk. Some of them selling food, like uh, some selling tacos, some selling like uh, sausage and, and uh, peppers and onions, mm. some selling fish, like deep fried fish. And then there's also people selling weird, random, like Mexican speed and uh, <laughs> people selling fireworks. How do you choose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's also a guy selling fidget spinners, but I think he's moved on to whatever's the new thing. <laughs> he's selling avocado lattes now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, Steve? This might come as somewhat of a surprise to 
a lot of our a lot of our listeners that know me as a as a rock and roller and a heavy metalsman. Um, that is true. I don't like fireworks mainly because I don't like loud noises. Yeah, I'm also not a huge fan of loud noises. I I like to see fireworks. I don't like the report. Yeah, same here. It's like I really. I, I don't know, man. It's like, to me, with fireworks, you've seen them once, you've seen them all. I guess setting them <laughs> off is kind of fun, but it's like, I don't want to spend my own money on that, you know? I, yeah, no, I don't remember the last time I bought fireworks, but I imagine that my age ended in teen. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. It's, it's not really my thing, uh, but it's cool, you know, if people want to go out and celebrate responsibly and have a good time, that is cool and more power to you. America. America, yeah. Because <laughs> they don't have fireworks in any other country. No, clearly not. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that we're just basically going to spend the day off from work just uh, making food and eating and drinking and having ourselves a pretty yeah. good time. I hope to watch maybe like an yep. Independence Day or something like that. Yeah, my wife and I will also be doing that. She uh, she loves fireworks, so we will be going to watch fireworks, but most of the day we'll be watching probably horror movies. Uh, and we'll be eating some of my world-famous enchiladas. Oh, shit. I need to find out about that. Now, let me ask you, Steve, if you're going to be watching perhaps an Independence Day tomorrow, have you ever watched the director's cut? Of Independence Day? Yeah. No. I've seen Independence Day a million times. I've never seen the director's cut, but I'm interested to hear what's different. So I have also seen Independence Day a million fucking times because I, like Hulk Hogan, am a real American. Yeah, you fight for the rights of every man. Clearly. And several years ago, uh, actually for like a 4th of July party, I think, we had a bunch of people over and we uh, watched the director's cut of Independence Day. It is the worst. Don't watch it. Oh, I believe that. It is the worst. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. The director's cut is about 20 minutes longer than the original feature. And it is basically 20 minutes of stuff to make you hate Randy Quaid's guts so fucking bad. It is <laughs> the worst. Like, it's to the point to where, like, he's, like, stealing medication from his son. Like, his son is, like, sick and he, like, Holy steals the medication. Shit. Dude, it's fucked up. And, like, by the end of the movie when he drives, well, flies his uh, crop duster up into the uh, alien spaceship to, like, blow it up. You're like, good. Fuck you. Goodbye. <laughs> But he gets like he gets like three final lines in that scene. It's oh ridiculous. man, <laughs> it is the best, dude. It is the best. So yeah, the director's cut absolutely fucking sucks. There's a few movies that are like that where like the theatrical cut is definitely better. Like I think the the theatrical yeah. cut of Donnie Darko is better than the director's cut. Hmm. Um. I would say the same for Blade Runner too. Oh man. Um, yes, that, yeah, that's true. But I I can think of some director's cuts that are way better. And one that, uh, shoots to mind is the I Am Legend director's cut. I've not seen it. I've only seen the theatrical. Okay. Well, uh, uh, you probably, do you, do you care for the movie any? I do not (laughs) care for the movie any. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) If you saw the director's cut, you might like it a bit more. Really? Um, The director's cut makes it uh, a real like emotional experience and a real like learning. And, and, and there's like a, there's a, there's a, there's a good bit of ambiguity at the end. And, And there's, there's a lot of like, 
revelation going in the last 10 minutes in the director's cut that doesn't occur in the theatrical release and the theatrical release i think is is just a garbage movie and the director's cut is a great movie and there's only really maybe 10 minutes of difference well god damn i need two. to watch that then yeah yeah check it out if you if you ever get a chance i uh, i really liked it huh um i i like will smith i mean he's obviously done some really shitty movies <laughs> uh, no. especially lately but um i i don't think i am legend is one i think he is really great in that movie I need to watch it again. Next time that I do, I will watch that director's cut. Have you watched anything else good here recently, Steve? Yeah. Um. Actually, I watched a movie called XX, which is a horror anthology that uh, oh, can be Vin viewed Diesel. on Netflix. Oh, Vin Diesel. It's a triple X with Vin Diesel. Oh, right. Shit. I'm sorry. I was thinking of triple X with Vin Diesel. <laughs> it's a horror <laughs> anthology with uh, four parts directed by female directors. <laughs> <laughs> XX is the prequel. What is it about? Um, XX. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a horror anthology. There are four parts including sort of a frame uh, stop-motion element. Um, it's uh, an anthology all directed by women. Hmm. Uh, a couple of the uh, parts will leave you thinking a good bit, like just like what exactly happened. Uh, and a couple tie up really nicely. One in particular is about a child's birthday, and it's directed by uh, Annie Clark, who is St. Vincent. I don't know if you know Oh yeah, uh, St. Vincent. Yeah, um, really great, really good um, short. So I recommend watching it. Like it's, I think all told, it's like an hour and twenty minutes anyway. So it's well worth it. And the uh, the the frame wraparound sort of element to it that is stop motion will remind you probably of a a tool video. Oh damn! It's got that Adam Jones yeah. kind of style. Yeah, yeah, some real cool stuff. So. Um, I also watched a movie on your recommendation uh, that I had never seen called The Stuff. Yes, which I also watched for the first time last week, and I so desperately want to cover it on our show sometimes because I don't think yeah. I've ever felt more like I watched a movie that was made by a crackhead. <laughs> that, the movie has, like, really deep roots in some really great films. I would say most particularly Soylent Green, uh, They Live. Yeah, definitely um, They Live, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe even Ni or, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Like, it's a lot about consumerism and stuff. Totally, so, totally. Yeah, it's it's a film. Uh, I Yeah, it, it seems like probably the direction's not amazing. The editing is, is weird. But the guy who plays the FBI, a former FBI agent, Mo. Mo. He he goes all out, and I love his performance so much that it really makes the film for me. Like Mike Moriarty. I'm pretty sure that yeah. Bill Clinton watched that movie and based his persona in real life around yeah, Mo absolutely. and the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mike Moriarty also plays a, uh, a character, and we're going to have to do this movie at some point because we have done Harry Potter. We're going to have to do a movie called Troll that uh, Mike Moriarty's in where he plays Harry Potter Sr. Damn He it. has a son by the name of Harry Potter Jr. And there are a lot of parallels between Troll, a 1980s 
kind of campy horror movie. Pretty, really campy horror movie. And, uh, <laughs> and the Harry Potter universe. Though J.K. swears she never saw the movie. I cannot wait to watch that. That sounds awesome. And yeah. at one point on the show, we'll have to cover the stuff because I watched it. I think I watched yeah. it like two nights in a row and it pretty much blew my dick off. It is a... It's so cool. Yeah. It is a ridiculous movie. So I recommend watching that one if you guys have Shudder or something. You know, before we start talking about this week's movie, I'm going to tell you listeners a big old thanks. I saw a whole bunch of new iTunes reviews pop oh, yeah. up for our show this week. I think I saw about six or so new five-star reviews pop up. And we yeah. really, really, really appreciate that. That helps us show up on the iTunes searches much, much, much better and show up on charts and stuff like that. So usually I wait until the very end of the show to say this kind of thing. But if you guys enjoy our show and want to help out Uncle Ben and Hollywood Steve, please be sure to go on iTunes and rate and review this podcast. Even if it's a super short review, just make sure that it's G-rated. If there's any potty mouth stuff in there, they will not post it. So... Just keep it G-rated. Give us a good rating on there on iTunes, and that will help us tremendously. So thank you all so much, everybody who contributed a review this week to the podcast. You know, Ben, I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed it probably in your check stub, Mm. but uh, every five-star review adds 200 podcast bucks to our bi-weekly podcast paycheck so i noticed that i thought that yeah. i saw a couple extra mm-hmm. couple extra hundred podcast bucks showing up on my stuff and you can you can use those to buy things like an unbreakable comb um a Ooh. spider ring um you know there, there are things in there that it's like <laughs> you if you saved up for generations maybe you could buy like i don't know the bike <laughs> it's like how am i ever gonna get that huffy that's a billion podcast bucks. Usually I cash all mine in on a whole horde of those two-part foam airplanes. Oh, man. And those things fly straight every time. They work great every uh-huh. single fucking time. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. Steve, the most important thing that I watched this week is a very, very important piece of our own hometown lore. Us hailing from yeah. the town of Morristown motherfucking Tennessee. This film yeah, yeah. plays an integral part in our hometown history. It's a little flick by Sam Raimi by the name of Evil Dead, or as it was originally called by its original title, The Book of the Dead. What year did mm-hmm. this come out, Steve? Uh, this came out in 81, um, though it technically was, was finished uh, in January of 80. Uh, though I guess the editing process took them a while, but this this movie came out in in eighty one, and um, I I said this to you before we started recording, but I'm pretty positive I have been preparing to record this episode of this podcast my entire life. God damn! Because I have been talking to people about this movie my entire life. That is awesome. This movie was filmed. Really, I mean, within miles of Stephen and I's original yeah. home birthplaces. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those parts of local lore around Morristown, Tennessee, that just sort of put us on the map. And then, of course, Morristown did basically nothing to uh, make that heritage proud, but it did put us on the map. <laughs> it did. It did. Yeah. Well, I think, um, well, I will get into the location scouting and stuff in a little while, but like, 
I think they maybe didn't realize what they were getting into when they accepted this, uh, this film. It's, right. um, it's obviously, and, uh, watching it again for this podcast, watching it with a critical eye, I think, for the first time, because, I, I mean, I have always looked at it critically, but, like, uh, I've been watching this movie my entire life, so, like, it, it, it was alien to me this time finally looking at it with a critical eye and seeing it this is a demented movie i Truly. love it so much i know what you mean man and that's one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is it does make me look at these movies even ones that i have seen a million times over it makes me look at them in a completely different yeah. light than i have every other time that i watch these movies because i'm really analyzing them critically so we can talk about them and stuff so it's a really fun thing about doing a, a podcast now in addition to putting morristown tennessee on the map this movie also put a uh, a large chinned actor by the name <laughs> of bruce campbell on the map bruce campbell who is now a beloved pop culture yeah. icon that we all know and adore and this is really his first, you know, major motion picture that sort of put him on the map. Are you a fan of a Bruce Campbell, Steve? Yes, absolutely. Like, there is, there is no actor that I can imagine who could have that much swagger without, like, having the type of career that, say, a George Clooney or Brad Pitt have had. Like, right. Bruce Campbell's had a fine career. Yeah. But, like, the way he conducts himself, like, it, it's like he is the biggest star in the world. And it's not even like he's cocky about it. He's, no. he's just like, he knows how fucking awesome he is. Yeah, it's very true. But not in, like, a shitty asshole kind no. of way. He just seems like in a, a legit great fucking way. awesome guy, man. Now, let me yeah. ask you, Steve. Do you like him enough to conduct, perhaps a list of your top five Bruce Campbell TV and movie appearances? If we're limiting ourselves to only five, like, it's going to be tough for me. But yeah, I think I could do it. Well, how about I kick us off on our list of our top five favorite <laughs> Bruce Campbell TV and uh, movie appearances? Maybe, maybe we do this in no particular order, but perhaps I start us off with a little film he was in by the name of Bubba Hotep. Hmm, never heard of it. What's that like? It's quite a silly movie where he <laughs> plays an old an old uh, Elvis Presley living in a retirement home and he fights an ancient Egyptian <laughs> demon spirit. So and fucking awesome. It is every bit as ridiculous as what I'm making it sound like. If you guys haven't seen that yeah. movie, I strongly recommend it. It is this weird blend of like, I don't know, like somebody told me the premise of the movie about, you know, old Elvis fighting a, a fucking uh, Egyptian spirit and stuff, living in a nursing home. And I expect it to be, like, really slapstick, silly, funny, you know? Yeah. And it's not really. It's like a no. dark... It's a dark, straight-laced comedy. It's just that the premise is so ridiculous and over-the-top that it's really <laughs> funny kind of in hindsight. Yeah, I really love Bubba Hotep. I want to watch like, it again. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. That's a strong way to start this. Now, uh, Ben, I'm going to go a direction. I, I know you don't know this character, but um, I remember seeing this show and just being blown away as a young man 
Briscoe County from the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. I know not now, of this Briscoe County. Briscoe County Jr. Ben, it is a steampunk western about uh, uh, an orb object that may have magical powers. And I back it. Dude, it is so good. If you if you can get a hold, I think it's only like two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get a hold of the episodes and watch them, it's so good. Like, <laughs> it's like it's almost like they were just throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick, and they're like, "Who can we get to sell this?" Obviously, Bruce Campbell. That kind of sounds like the premise of Bubba so Hotep too, where it's just like, "Who the yeah. fuck else could do this?" Yeah, because exactly. That's the thing. I think it's possible that um, Bruce Campbell is like a a creation of the gods that like he he could sell anything, but he selectively chooses to sell only the most awesome things. I need to watch it, man. I remember reading about that and hearing that it was just a really cool, fun and unique watch. It's one that I need to see now. One that I would put on my list that this is kind of cheating because really he only has a really small cameo, even though he gets top billing in the movie because it's such a low budget piece of shit. Um, yeah. Honestly, um, Sam Raimi is in the movie for a bigger part of the flick than Bruce Campbell is. <laughs> but uh, it's a little movie called Intruder. It is a slasher movie from the late mid 80s set late night during the night stocking of a grocery store and it is one of the most silly stupid movies that i've ever fucking seen it's awesome have you ever seen it i have not dude that's another one of those ones that we have to do on the show sometime because it is absolutely ridiculous um basically yeah, Bruce Campbell gets, like, top billing in the movie, but he just shows up, seriously, in the last five minutes as a cop. He just kind of gets out of the car and arrests somebody, oh. and that's it. Like, he's barely in the movie <laughs> whatsoever. But I love the movie so much. It is so fucking <laughs> stupid. It is, like, a parody of what you think an 80s slasher is. And really, my ultimate life's goal is to get the Lonely Island crew to remake Intruder. Okay. I listen. I've n- I've never seen Intruder, but I love the Lonely Island crew. So like, I'm already interested. Yeah, exactly. If, if we could get Bruce Campbell to reprise his role as cop who appears in the end, <laughs> dude, it would be the best of all time. Yeah. All right, Ben. Now, there are a lot of things that we could name, and I, I really struggled over what to say here but i wanted to go with what i think is in fact bruce campbell's best acting performance and that is as ronald reagan in fargo season two. Oh shit see uh, as we mentioned on previous podcasts i have not watched fargo but you're telling me that he's in there as the ronald reagan yeah holy and shit you have to see it like uh fargo and Legion are two of my favorite shows on television right now. 
and there is so much good stuff on television. Now, does he play like, uh, you know, the, the Reagan that we all know, TV president Ronald Reagan, or does he play like elderly Alzheimer's Ronald Reagan? He is um, uh, on the campaign tour trying to become president, oh. uh, Ronald Reagan. And he's only, re I mean, I think he appears maybe in three episodes, but he only really has, you know, uh, a real interaction in one episode. And it's this very surreal, interesting interaction in a bathroom where uh, his Alzheimer's is showing. Holy shit. And it's, it's so good. It is so perfect. I love it so much. And it's Bruce fucking Campbell. Yeah, now that you're saying Bruce Campbell as Ronald Reagan, I can completely see it. That's a brilliant bit yeah. of casting. I yeah. gotta see that. So, Ben, uh, what, what's what's our last one? What's the best Bruce Campbell performance? Well, what else could be number one other than his performance as our main man, Ash, in the Evil Dead series, uh, which is now extending into the, the t Ash versus the Evil Dead TV Nothing series. is better than that. No. Nothing. No. Huh. Ben, there's a. I texted this to you, and and we, I believe, came to this revelation together. This is the only uh, horror series I can think of that does not have a bad installment. In yes. fact, I would say every installment is very good to beyond like yeah even the comic books like if you've ever read ash versus the evil dead uh or the marvel zombies versus the evil dead with ash like you see that like it's almost kind of easy to capture the charm of bruce campbell which mm. i think is part of his charm yeah is that he's like uh, he's like he and Nathan Fillion, I would say, are in the same boat. Mm -hmm. Where it's like they can do no wrong. They're they're like superheroes, but just regular men. They're just coasting on their own personalities. Yeah, but like that's the thing is they don't uh, they don't coast. Like they still put in effort, and they're still really good in everything they do. Right, uh, right. It's so amazing. Yeah, you're right, though, man. It's like every other horror franchise, you can point out at least a single dud yeah. somewhere in there. Whether you're talking about a Friday the 13th or an Elm Street or a Halloween or an Alien, there's there's always a weak link in there, particularly when it comes to there being a remake. And even the Evil Dead remake that came out several years ago. So good. It's fucking awesome, man. I, I know that, yeah. that it has gotten a little bit of hate from some people, but I think that it is yeah. absolutely ridiculously brutal and really interesting and really, really good. So you're yeah. right. The Evil Dead franchise has really not missed a beat yet. Um I have not watched the T V series, but I've heard that it's fucking Oh, it's so great. good. It's so good. Uh, um, love Bruce Campbell. I love uh, the the two kids that are with him. Can't think of the actors' names right now. And I love Lucy Lawless. Lucy Lawless is so great. Oh damn! So um, Zena's in there. Yeah. Um, Lucy Lawless. I have been in love with since Zena. Sure. Um, never been like a a crush thing. I don't think she's necessarily my type. But like, she's just that like, she conveys strong woman no matter what her character is so yeah. like 
she is Xena, but then like she's also amazing in Battlestar Galactica. She was amazing in Parks and Rec, and she's oh, yeah. fucking awesome in Ash versus Evil Dead. Right on. I've got to watch that series sometimes because obviously I've loved absolutely everything else that Evil Dead has had to do with. Now I assume yeah. that this was not your first time seeing this movie. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. I. <laughs> I've seen this movie a million times. I've owned this movie on every possible format. Like, uh, this movie is one that's like, it's just a part of me. Like, watching it over and over again, I realized watching it this time, I've missed so much stuff because to me, it's just a movie you turn on. Like, right, yeah. So, I had missed so much awesome stuff because I've been watching it since I was a child. And I've never stopped watching it. So I never got that, like, pause to then come back to it and be like, oh, oh, that's what's going on here. So I, I was really happy to watch it for the podcast because I got to see uh, a completely different view of the movie. Right. Now, whenever you watch this for the first time, how old were you and what was your impression of it? And did it scare the fucking shit out of you? Um, I believe I was maybe five Jeez. and i remember laughing i remember laughing a lot wow um and i remember that evil dead one evil dead two and army of darkness i like i don't uh i see the change now like i see the shift throughout the three but as a child i remember them just flowing together as like oh yeah this they're all the same they're all like sort of campy like really bloody like demonic horror but it's all really kind of funny right and it, um it's only now as an adult that i realize like this first one isn't exactly funny like there's there are there are elements of humor but there's not a lot of funny to it right and you know that's funny that you mentioned that because that's something that i was observing this time whenever i watched it is you know you can watch this movie as a horror movie or you can kind of watch it as a comedy in a lot of ways yeah. because a lot of the things that we see presented in this movie have been parodied and parroted and imitated so many times that it almost feels like everything that's happening in this movie is somewhat of an overblown cliche but you got to remember whenever it came out those things were not cliche they became no. cliche after everything yeah. fucking copied this movie so the first time that you watch it if you can put yourself in the mindset of you know somebody in the year that this came out watching it you would probably be mortified and blown away by how brutal and gory it is but then you can yeah. watch it again thinking well what if this came out now and it'd be like this campy funny sort of sort of uh movie you know yeah, because it's very self-aware. Yeah. Um, uh, Which is, okay, so I think we have to talk about Sam Raimi a bit. And Ben, okay, so this will make you maybe want to kill yourself. Sam Raimi turned 20 a couple weeks before they started filming this. That's insane. He couldn't even buy a beer, and he was making one of the mm -hmm. most historic horror movies and yeah. just ind independent movies of all time yeah he he's he's out in a, a cabin in the middle of east tennessee with a super eight and a bunch of friends and and actors college students like he's he, 
this movie looks like there are some of the most beautiful, like almost Western style shots. There are some very Giallo influenced shots. Definitely. There, there are shots where it's like, like how did he th- like I I understand like every film school student gets a Dutch angle. If you slightly tilt the camera, it makes things feel a bit off. Yeah. But how did how did he as a 20-year-old have the intuition to know exactly when to do that and not make it look like a film student trying out Dutch angles? Absolutely. Like, and there's a thing about this movie, too, that I noticed this time where as you watch the movie and shit is getting progressively more and more off the rails, even the camera yeah. work and stuff gets progressively yes. crazier and crazier. Cause like the shots at the first of the movie are mainly very stock, very normal horror movie angles and stuff. But mm-hmm. then throughout the course of the movie, as you know, all of Ash's friends are dying and stuff and stuff is getting progressively crazier, man, a lot of the camera angles and decisions that they make just get progressively nuttier and nuttier. And it's because he knew if I was showing more of these off-kilter shots, it will help yeah. convey the sense of just this impending uh, this impending dementia and madness that's sort of enveloping the whole thing. Yeah, and... Okay, so the budget of this is reported at three hundred and fifty to 400000 which is taking into account how much money they made after they had filmed it and then got more investors to help with distribution. Uh, it was really made closer to $90,000. Good God, so, that's nothing. Yeah, and um, The Cabin, uh, I, I think I'll include this link, but there's a really good like uh, history of The Cabin itself. Uh, and really? the person who wrote the history up talked to the owner. This was written in 2012, and the the owner, and he was the same guy who rented out the cabin to the the crew. Uh, he was 94 in 2012. Whoa. Um, yeah the the cabin itself had been built by his dad, um, and it was built originally as like a place where they could go in the spring to go hunting and stuff. And then the TVA came in to create Cherokee Lake and their home was in the path of Cherokee Lake. So they ended up moving uh, partially to that, that cabin and then later moving somewhere else. No the, kidding. The, that's, that's a huge part of the history of our areas, the Tennessee Valley authorities, yeah. like you said, destroying a lot of homes in order to, to build the waterways and stuff. That's pretty interesting that that directly affected this movie. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. This is just a little off topic, but there are uh, complete Indian, like Indian, there are complete Cherokee uh, cities underwater, like that, that were never excavated by archaeologists in in the Knoxville area and in the uh, further areas of East Tennessee. God, Insane. what a shame! That sucks. Yeah, it really does. White um, people are check the out worst. Oh, brother, where art thou? If you have, <laughs> yeah. if you want to know more about the TV, there you go. Yeah. yeah, that's right there in that movie. Anyway, the the swing on that porch. Just so you know, that swing was made by the owner's father, and was a porch swing that they had on the the house that they had that was then uh, like engulfed in Cherokee Lake. 
they took the swing and they took it and like hung it on the cabin. That swing was, uh, you know, maybe 80, 90 years old. It was, uh, it was destroyed by assholes in 1981. So, um, I want, okay. I want to talk a little, I've been out to where the cabin is. I've been to where the, it's only uh, a chimney now. There's nothing left. The cabin burned down. Uh-huh. I've been out there. Um, don't go out there. Just don't. Yeah. Like, one, show some respect. The, yeah. The, the per- again, as I said, like the family has owned that land for generations. They just rented out this cabin to a, a, a film and it turned into something bigger. The cabin gets burnt down. Uh, people are showing up on private property all the time. There's a house nearby. People will just park in the, the driveway, and it's like, this is the middle of nowhere. Don't go do that. <laughs> like, Yeah, and I've heard of people it, stealing bricks from the fireplace yeah. and the, the chimney yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's got to be kind of like the Morristown equivalent of like living in the Breaking Bad house. Yeah, probably. <laughs> people always throwing pizzas on your roof. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but um you know the the area is really interesting. I mean, not everything was filmed at the cabin, but everything was uh not everything, but like the majority of the exterior shots mm-hmm. were filmed in East Tennessee. Uh the road in the opening, like the the single lane road where they almost hit the tow truck. Sure. That that's in uh just outside of Newport in Bridgeport. Mm. Um it's it's still a one lane road. Wow. And, yeah. Um it's so cool watching those shots cuz you see that and you're like, yeah, that looks exactly like every road I've ever driven on around here ever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's not changed. No. It's 2017 still a one lane road. Um the bridge is gone. Uh the mm. the original bridge they drove over and um, the, the road shots were actually shot in some areas, um, like, uh, I believe Granger County, mm. like near Granger County. Um, so they were kind of all over the area we grew up in. Um, that's cool. And, and apparently the reason that they decided to film there is Basically, Ramey and Campbell and all of his buddies that decided to make this film, they hail from the Michigan area. And, of course, Michigan known for its exceptionally brutal, horrific winters. And basically, the filming schedule of this movie, they were going to be filming over the wintertime. And they were like, well, let's let's film this somewhere down south so that the weather will be a little bit more um, uh, easy to deal (laughs) with. And basically, they, they found this cabin in Morristown. They came down here to film. Only just in a complete fluke, up north in Michigan, they had one of their warmest winters on record. And down here, they had one of the most cruel and brutal winters in like a damn decade, just in time for them to film this movie. And the conditions of filming were absolutely punishing. Yeah, I I had to look up the weather because... We both watched uh, a pretty good video that describes some of this, mm-hmm. and I'll include the link on the, the Twitter, etc. But I had to look up the weather just to know, like, how brutal it was. Yeah. And we're how talking about... How brutal was it? 
<laughs> it was so brutal <laughs> that it was frequently in the 20s and high teens uh, in the night, and the days rarely got uh, much hotter than, than mid-40s. But we're generally in the, the mid to high 30s. And you got to think, y'all, if you're talking about that kind of weather, but you're thinking, oh, well, that's not that bad as long as you stay inside. Well, bullshit, because no. that entire cabin did not have heating, air conditioning, plumbing, electricity. It had nothing. And yeah. basically, imagine being in those conditions, wearing clothes that you've worn for days, sleeping on a cot, and wearing clothes that are coated not even in water, but in fucking caro syrup blood. <laughs> and food coloring, yeah. <laughs> it had it had to be the most agonizing yeah. shoot of all time. And there's all sorts of sentiments from the actors that remind me so much. Um, although really on the opposite end of the spectrum of hearing the actors from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre talk about yeah. that experience filming in Texas in this damn 120 degree indoor weather in this house with no air conditioning and just how agonizing and punishing it was. But at yeah. the same time, you know, the directors of both of these movies being maybe somewhat sadistic, maybe just driven to make a superior yeah. product, they kind of let it happen because it was driving the actors to these incredible performances one way or the other. There's something about that kind of conflict and struggle that just breeds great art it makes something real happen yeah i mean you're not gonna get any argument from me i absolutely believe that i think you know the the more dedicated everybody is to the filming the the better it's it's gonna end up right but, kind of like we talked about uh, I mean, on the exorcist episode yeah but i mean and you know again uh i don't know if we've ever talked about this i talk about this with my wife sometimes because um you know, when we talk about, like, how much CEOs get paid, and a lot of us are disgusted, and I am one of them, uh, how much they get paid for how little they actually do, um, I, I hate that, that that anger then gets, like, brought over to actors, directors, uh, athletes, etc. These artists who... Uh, you know, actually, musicians, uh, anybody like that. Hey, thanks. thanks. Yeah, you, you <laughs> types. Uh, any artist who is getting paid, I don't know. Say you hear uh somebody's getting paid twenty five million dollars to be in a movie, and you think that's insane. Don't get mad at that person. First off, the, everything might go downhill after that movie. They might never have another job. 25 right. million sounds like a lot until it's your only payday. Right. Like, uh, don't get mad at artists and athletes for, for making a bit of money because it's not, it's not constant. It's not going to happen forever. And it might be the only time they get paid. And a lot of them go through shit like this, where they're in these small, tiny, shitty shoots. They're giving their all for nothing. Yeah. And then finally they get a payday. It's fucking awesome. It's great <laughs> to hear. They've they've worked hard for what they've done. Yeah. Like just uh, you know, uh yeah, if you if you hear about a, a CEO getting uh 2 billion dollars to, you know, get fired. Yeah, it's disgusting and hateful and they probably didn't do anything to help anybody ever. But God damn it, who cares if uh, an athlete who is probably not going to remember 
much past their 30s uh, is is getting you know 70 million dollars over their short five-year career like <laughs> just fucking yeah <laughs> Swallow your shit for a second and realize, like, other people have some real tough lives, too. The conditions of the filming were were nuts, too, because it was kind of thing where they were a bunch of, like you said, fucking kids, man. A bunch of 20-something-year-old kids out here filming this movie, making up special effects as they went, doing stuff like shooting actual guns with actual live ammo. (laughs) The glass in the windows was real glass. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. And then, too, like, even the scenes in the movie where, um, what's her name? The girl who's right by the tree. Is that Shelly? Uh, no, no, no. That's, uh, Cheryl. Cheryl. Uh, that's, yeah, Ash's sister. There you go. Whenever Cheryl is, like, running through the woods barefoot, just wearing, like, a flannel shirt and no drawers or nothing like this. Yes, she was, you know. Pooh bearing it, as you said from the <laughs> Halloween episode, and and just so you know, Ben, just so you know that as I said in the Halloween episode, that has ruined me because I had a huge crush on Cheryl from this movie, and then watching her run through the forest, pooh bearing it, I realized like, oh okay, I'm into pooh bearing apparently. <laughs> That's number one on your search history, pooh bearing. Yeah. <laughs> but while she's out there running through the woods, hauling ass, you know, in the middle of this 12 degree temperature night, she's not running through a trail with, you know, no rubber mats on it. She's just scrambling through the woods, getting cut up by mm-hmm. thistles and brambles and sticks and twigs. Mm-hmm. There's several yeah. times through the movie where you see on on uh, Bruce Campbell on Ash, his character has all kinds of scratches and cuts on his face. Those are real. That just yeah. that just happened filming this movie just raw off the rails indie film bullshit these people really suffered for this movie i grew up uh running around in the woods and i'll tell you this i would not run around in the woods in my underwear ever no not now not never no like you you get caught on shit in east tennessee in the woods i mean it's all hills they're fucking, especially in the the fall and winter, it's just like uh, two feet of leaves everywhere. Yeah. Like, it's insane. And she's running around in just underwear. And like, not even yeah. to mention, like, the brown recluse spiders and all that kind of stuff. My stepdad just got bitten by a brown recluse, like, last week, dude. Yeah, happens pretty regularly, yeah. He's got a motherfucking hole in his arm. Yeah, I had I got bit by a brown recluse on my right leg, and it it was huge. It was just a big like hole, basically. Yeah. Jeez, dude. Now another thing too that's amazing, not only for the, well, like you were talking about earlier, the camera angles and stuff, and the special effects, which are also amazing that we'll talk about in a second. You know, another really awesome technical achievement that Sam Raimi had is the use of. Basically, his homemade Steadicam, which was a camera mounted yes. on a 2x4, which is what you see on the shots where you see what they called the spirit or the force. Yeah, the it's evil ba- force. Yeah, 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 that ghostly presence just kind of like racing yeah, through the forest. Yeah, two people running with a 2x4 with a camera in the middle. Yeah, and it, it like, yeah, it, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Now, Ben, you know I will soon turn 21, so I feel like maybe... Sam Raimi, uh, you know, I won't have that type of career. It's true. Because I'm a little too old at 21. the age of 20 and 1. Yes. 
um, <laughs> which you, listeners will know to be absolutely true from references I make. Absolutely. Um, the idea to do that and to create these awesome <laughs> shots that would normally be done with a dolly or, or something like that, mm-hmm. create these awesome shots that become like they they become very definitive of this idea of evil approaching mm-hmm. like like you can see in the future people doing similar things with the camera suddenly rushing up on someone and it looks like just a little odd like it is a good steady cam because it's not like jostling mm-hmm. constantly but you can see that it's like not moving at like this consistent pace uh, which makes it even more like a little bit more scary. Like yeah. it's also just like the the Dutch angles. Like it adds a little bit of it, it makes it feel a little off, and it makes you feel a little off. So it makes it a little bit more scary. And the frame rate on a lot of those shots is kind of like sped up a little bit too. And um, I was actually listening to another podcast or maybe a YouTube video that was talking about this too. But there's actually even several shots in like Bram Stoker's Dracula that are very similar to the spirit shots in this movie where it is a steady cam floating over a landscape yeah. at a slightly sped up frame rate. There's actually a bunch of shots like that in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I think is pretty interesting. It's some of my all-time favorite movies too, so I like that. Now, guys, I'm going to go ahead and admit, I, I'm not turning 21 soon. I'm a little bit older than that. I'm 25. Now... Um, <laughs> Here, here's the thing though that like I think of I think of how many movies and, and books and things I had read and seen uh, at the ripe young age of 20 yeah and I feel like I, I don't know I don't know where Sam Raimi comes from like I don't get it like he obviously has an understanding of filmmaking at the age of 20 that did not come just from making a few 8 millimeter films with his friend Bruce Campbell like the, he he obviously was he knew while he was watching movies as a, a young man he was catching all these things that then come out in this movie yeah um and it's like it, it's it, it's so I mean I guess the way to put it and this is just to go to my ridiculous uh, education it's monstrous yeah like, that he he's a monster like he is he is a he's a freak of nature like he where did he come from why is he that good at 20 yeah seriously yeah to make a film this well put together and this well made at such a young age is kind of it's kind of insane. It's one of those deals where yeah. you look at it and you're like, how could this have possibly happened? It's kind of like listening to like Van Halen 1 and you're like, Eddie Van Halen was a fucking yeah. kid when this was made. Yes. It's exactly, yes. Or hearing John Frusciante on on Under the Bridge. Like, yeah. yeah like, Blood Sugar. These He's are like kids. damn 20 or something. It's nuts. Yes, these are little babies and yeah. they're doing shit that is fucking insane. And Extremely um, high level. Yeah, I... I, yeah, I'm just so impressed. And, and the thing is that Sam Raimi, he's he's earned it. Like he he didn't create this one good movie and then just sort of fall off or like get into cocaine and and whatever. He just kept creating good movies. Yeah, he kept making good stuff. He keeps 
producing good stuff. So like, it seems like a cool guy by all accounts. Yeah, too. exactly. More power to him. I I'm very happy to hear of of people who are just good at what they do and and cool about it. Now, what do you think about some of the the blood and gore and disgusting effects Gosh, of this movie? So awesome! Like, yeah, I. I love the ending, like the stop motion stuff. I know, isn't that cool? It's so good. And by that point too, like like I've mentioned, the level of insanity in this movie, it ramps up so progressively as you watch yeah. it that by the time you get to those parts, it kind of makes sense to you. Like if if there would have been a random stop motion weirdness like halfway through the movie, it probably would have been too much too soon and it would have like taken yeah. you out of it. But it's like by the end of the movie, it's so fucked off that you're like, yeah, yes. yeah I'm on board. <laughs> this makes sense. Okay, so I I had a little time and both Evil Dead and Army of Darkness are available on streaming platforms I have. Mm -hmm. So uh, Evil Dead 2, I mean. So I, I took the time, I watched Evil Dead 2 with my wife last night, and then this morning when I woke up, I watched Army of Darkness, and, like, these movies, they have this campy sort of makeup quality from time to time, and this over-the-top, like, uh, blood thing that goes on, oh, yeah. and it actually gets it gets progressively like weirder and weirder. And I think what we get uh, in each of these movies is what we, we start to get is we get Ash's perspective on things. So as he's going crazier, the movie goes crazier. Right, exactly, and, yeah. And the crazier he gets, the less the story from the previous movie makes sense. So that makes sense. in the second in the second one, it starts with a like previously on type of thing where Ash is saying like what happened, and the other three people involved in this aren't aren't in it. Right. And and his girlfriend is a different person. Yeah. And then in Army of Darkness, when he tells it, the story's a little bit different, and his girlfriend's a different person again. And the army or uh, Evil Dead Two ending, which is supposed to be the beginning of Army of Darkness, is actually different. Like the ending is is different than the beginning of Army of Darkness. So like, the story gets progressively more warped as as Ash gets more warped. It gets and more so, yeah, and more that, surreal and, and zany as yeah. he's kind of losing his mind. Yeah. So like, I really love that at the end. There's that's just like stop motion like over the top weird stuff that yeah you're right would not work in the middle of the movie and isn't it interesting too where like there's a lot of those classic horror franchises like whether it be an an elm street or friday the 13th where you know a couple films into the series they decide to start making it kind of funny and kind of campy and yes. you know i'm a huge elm street fan but in the case of those movies it really didn't necessarily make any sense like one is just a flat-out scary movie and they could have just continued making shit that was flat-out scary so whenever they decided to start taking the turn of making it into a a wisecracking funny silly freddy you know we're, yeah. all, we're all okay with it now but at you know if you look at it really chronologically it just seems kind of random but there's something about 
this movie and the inherent humor in it and the inherent way of just making light of how over the top everything is when Bruce is getting sprayed in the face with gore from his girlfriend and his friends yeah. and stuff like this that whenever we get to part two and especially to part three army of darkness the the humor and the silliness it feels like that was something that was already there and not just tossed in as a way you know to be a, a cash grab kind of thing it seems like it was a more logical evolution than it is for a lot of those other franchises I would actually be interested, I mean, if we were doing Evil Dead 2, I would have probably looked into this, but I'd be interested to see when it is that um, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and, and series like that take the turn to mm-hmm. humorous, because mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, it could have been influenced by Evil Dead 2. Right, like, yeah. Evil Dead 2 could have made that uh, an interesting route to go. Um, I'd like to see where that falls in chronologically. You're right. I would like to see who influenced who when it came time to making that that change in tone. And although a lot of the things about this movie that, like I said, are very horrific and over the top, like him getting sprayed in the face with guts and stuff like this, you know, ultimately the main premise of the movie is one of those intrinsically super scary things. You're trapped in a cabin out in the woods. There is no escape. The bridge is out. Um it's cold you're in a place that you don't know and basically all that you have are your friends and all of them are turning into you know these undead evil zombies and stuff and you have to murder your friends and your girlfriend and yeah it's a fucked up premise really it's easy to forget that because we've seen so many movies imitate it and stuff but that's pretty fucked up now, I, I'm not going to claim I haven't been to a murder your friends party, but you know, yeah, it is fucked up. It's weird. <laughs> I mean, OK, yeah, I've been to a few and I survived them. So obviously I murdered all my friends. Yeah, but, you know, I'm out here on the East Coast, so it's OK. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't invite everybody I know. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> this movie has an amazing score yeah it does it really does like the music of this movie works so well and this is uh joseph laduca's first score it's his first effort in uh making music for film and he's he's done a bit since i really like it i think it adds to the eerie value like so much throughout the movie it does. It's got these almost Hitchcockian um, sort of string sections and stuff in the score. It really does set the mood very nicely. And there's also a lot of really cool sound design and stuff in the yeah. movie as well. Whether you're talking about the obvious stuff, like the way the Deadites' voices sound with that crazy... Join pit- us. Yeah, and the pitch shifting uh, like modulation yeah. and stuff that are all over the voices. Um, and even the crazy way that a lot of the actors and actresses play their parts like where what's her yeah. name does the really baby doll sing songy yeah and she's wearing like they did her makeup kind of to go with that character yeah. it kind of looks like she's a little girl who put on her mom's makeup oh, dead wow. night yeah um yeah it's a, also during the uh tree rape scene and mm-hmm. i i want to talk about the value of rape scenes in horror movies in a little bit but <laughs> The tree rape scene has, um, if you listen close to the the sound, 
it, there's this like buzzing of a mosquito oh, just wow. going I that, that like makes like it puts you on edge while you're watching it i mean you're already on edge because the the feeling of of bark against your skin is not pleasant no you know like so you like you're watching it and it it looks unpleasant but there's also this like just like going and it, it just puts you on edge well and that kind of goes along too with a lot of the other elements of the movie that i noticed as well even even watching it this time is like even the scene where uh again what's her name gets possessed and she's got the baby doll schoolgirl kind of sing linda. song oh you're talking yeah on. you're talking about ash's girlfriend linda yeah yeah exactly linda like her volume and her intensity and how annoying and monotonous her voice is it goes and goes and goes and goes and goes in that scene and it's like yes you get progressively more and more irritated and annoyed by the sound design that like you want to deck her by the time the scene is done it's really really effective yeah. sound design and really creative stuff too where like there's this one shot i noticed where the camera is like tracking over i think it's tracking over ash walking through the cabin and the camera is like up in the rafters uh-huh and as the camera is panning left to right every time it goes over one of the rafters there's this weird random like whoosh, sound effect as it goes over each of the rafters huh and it's weird and it's like it makes no sense a camera passing over these rafters wouldn't make a sound but it is somehow effective in drawing you into that environment. And as I mentioned on yeah. previous shows, like I love those kinds of weird decisions that filmmakers or musicians or artists make to make their creation better. It's the stuff that you would never think of. Like, oh, when the camera passes over this rafter, it should make a noise. You just don't think about that kind of shit, but yeah. the truly great ones do. The Speaking of like the annoyingness of the deadites Shelly who is uh, Scotty's girlfriend who uh -huh. is the first one to get stabbed with the ceremonial knife um I actually just uh I had to turn the sound all the way down while she was like screaming after getting stabbed because my dog was freaking out like <laughs> cause it, it's like this real sh like shrill like just like oh, and it's, it's terrible it doesn't and it, it 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 doesn't end when you think like oh, okay i get it i'm irritated like it keeps pushing you past the point of irritation yeah that that's kind of like the sing-songy voice thing too it is just yeah. way like you said it is way past the point where it's like okay i get it and it is still going and going and going and it yeah. really just puts you on edge too yeah and the thing is that like you have to recognize I think um, it's it's just in this movie. You don't have to know all the other movies and and all the other like elements of the Evil Dead universe to to get that like th this isn't Cheryl and and Shelley and Linda. This this is just whatever this force is. Yeah. Because you you get that understanding from two different situations. One that's really irritating is Cheryl in the, you know, cellar, like knocking on the door. At one point she goes, it's your sister, Cheryl. <laughs> like, and it's, it's like, okay, but like, that's not something Cheryl would say. That is like, you know, the, 
the demon inside of her is like fucking with him. Right. And also whenever um Scotty is chopping up Shelly, the the voice is saying, "You love her. You love her." Like again, not ref- not saying you love me, saying you love her. So like the this is all that force. So like all this creepiness is this force this evil force that we don't know anything about except that it is summoned by a reading of the necronomicon right exactly now the the kind of mythology and the workings and the mechanics of the deadites i will say are somewhat somewhat unclear now one thing that we know about the deadites is and i think this is a particularly cool and brutal move that they put in the movie whereas typical zombie movies you know the way to destroy a zombie is typically to destroy the brain or the brain stem yeah apparently in this movie the only way to completely rid yourself of a deadite is complete dismemberment just chopping them into bits which is displayed super brutally yeah, even then, all you're doing is just, like, uh, incapacitating them. Yeah, like, they can still wiggle and talk. can still talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, one thing that I do find is a little bit unclear about this is, okay, we got the Deadites. They're obviously just kind of, like, super irritating zombies, I guess you would say. I don't quite know how the tree rape thing falls into that mythology, because that's almost yeah. more of a... Okay, poltergeisty well, <laughs> telekinetic kind of you know nature force that i'm not really sure how that yeah. falls in line with the rest of what we see i think what we're supposed to understand from that is that the force can control any living thing okay uh or may, may well, I, I honestly though in evil dead 2 it uh it controls the uh mounted heads on the wall so oh you're right yeah so maybe it can control anything that has cells i'm I'm not sure but like evil dead 2 there's more controlling of trees and like uh inanimate objects yeah Yeah, i'm not i'm not sure that's interesting i hadn't thought about that yeah Um, because it it doesn't really fit exactly in with how everything else in this sort of universe works yeah that's i okay so i want to talk about this so uh Rape scenes in horror movies can be very problematic. Uh, obviously, um, after Last House on the Left, there were um, there was this rot. Hills have eyes. Yeah, there was this rise in like r- rape revenge movies yeah. and rape scenes in Spit horror on movies your grave and stuff like that. Yeah, um, and I I think you know I've I've obviously seen some arguments that rape should not be in movies at all sure um i can understand that especially if you've been affected by rape you would just never want to have to see that no but when we're talking about horror it it seems like it's it's gonna have to be dealt with at some point Mm because it it is it is horrific it yeah. is horrifying. I I don't yeah, I I don't think this tree rape scene is necessary. Like Yeah, I would really don't say get that. It. It is. I don't I, I just don't get why it's here. Like considering kind of the motives of these vengeful deadite spirits, it's like 
I don't know yeah, if sex like, is not. On yeah, the, if, yeah, is that part of the agenda? Like raping a woman with a tree? Is that kind of something that is on their list of things to do? That seems a little out of character, I would say. Yeah, I I think maybe they thought you know we have this cool effect and let's do it, but like movies for yeah. sure. And again, that might just be a young guy finding something easy to be shocking yeah, it's horrifying. And, and horrifying. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that that really is one of the easiest ways to make something truly horrific yes. is to use that as a as a plot device. So maybe again, this was maybe Sam showing his cards as a young filmmaker with with no better ideas of how to make something fucked up. Um so yeah, I know what you mean. And again, especially when you look at the way that it works within the you know, universe and mythology of the Deadites doesn't really make a ton of sense. Probably yeah. could have done something yeah. different. Yeah, and it's it's not something that's really gonna come back ever in the Evil Dead series. So like yeah. you look back on it and you think like, okay, so then what did like if she had then birthed a demon tree baby, yeah. okay. It would there make a more point. sense. There'd be a point to it, but what was? there's no point to it. Right. Now, one of the bits of violence in the movie that I found, you know, the most effective and really even more effective than seeing, you know, uh, somebody getting chopped into bits limb to limb is that scene where <laughs> the pencil gets stabbed into the ankle. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, that looks so painful, doesn't it? It's brutal because the oh, pencil stabs oh. in and kind of gets twisted around as the blood yeah, is just spraying Yeah, it's like right there, right there in the area between the Achilles tendon yeah. and, like, the bone. So it's oh. like, oh, oh, that would hurt. Like, that's always the most brutal stuff is when you can see something in a movie and you can kind of relate to it. Like, I've, yeah, you can kind of feel it. Like, yeah, like... Oh. I've never had my head chopped off. I can't relate to decapitation, <laughs> but it's like I can see something like that and probably think of something that has happened that's close to similar yeah. enough, and that's what makes you squirm the most. I have sat down on a couch and hit my Achilles tendon and been like, oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so to see something like that is turbo brutal. There was one time that I, my mom accidentally got stabbed through the ear oh, no. with a pencil. So what the a, hell? Dude, it's so bad. Was I felt so bad about it. It was homeschool Jesus era. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so as a young Ben, ben I was So up. it was either you or your brother. It was me. Oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah. All right. Describe it then. <laughs> as a young Ben, I was, uh, I was an artsman and I was always drawing pictures. I was Simon mm -hmm. and I liked to do drawings. Yeah, obviously. Cheeky and, monkey. And so I had a I kept all my pencils very OCD neatly sharpened in a uh -huh. uh, in a tin can and for whatever uh -huh. reason I had them well actually I know exactly for what reason I had them pointing point up out of this tin can because if I put right. them, if I put them in there point down Yeah, then it would break. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then all my sharpening would have gone to waste. And right. uh and so I was, uh, I usually like to lay down on the floor while I was drawing. And so I had my can of pencils laying down there. And I think my mom was laying down on the floor with me or something like that. And she just went to like lean over and lay on her side, not knowing that my can O pencils that were oh, razor sharp. No. Dude, she basically ben. gave herself like oh. a second ear piercing, like all the way through her oh, fucking ear. Oh no. It was fucking terrible. Fucking hell. Yeah, so when I saw her getting stabbed with a pencil, I was like, Mom, no! <laughs> <laughs> but you said it in Little Ben voice, so I was like, Mom, no! Mom, no! It's so, 
so brutal, man. It, like I said, it's like the stuff that you can see in these movies that that hurts the most is the stuff that you can relate to. And, you know, another thing, just speaking of brutality, some real-life brutality that went down in this movie is the Deadites were all wearing those sort of white-out contact lenses. Yeah, they were glass. Yeah, they were not like something that you could go down yeah. to a Hot Topic and buy a disposable set of. Those were glass no. contacts that went across their entire And they were really eyeball. thick, apparently. And they were so thick and, um, you know, not clear that basically the actors couldn't even see through them while they yeah. were wearing them. They were advised to only wear them 15 minutes at a time, but of course they wore them way longer than that. Right. A, co a cool thing I learned, too, is that apparently Bruce Campbell, that, that's another cool thing about this movie, man, the the actors and stuff were basically the crew as well. All the actors and actresses yeah. took on secondary roles as you know, props and costume supervisors and special effects artists and all this stuff too. Bruce was given the chore of putting the contact lenses into everybody's eyes, right? And so basically, in order to do that, you know, if you're fucking Ash and Evil Dead and you're coated in corn syrup blood all day long, and then you need to install these glass contact lenses in your buddy's eyeballs, well, oh, you, need, God. You, you need some clean hands, right? Yeah. So it's a good thing that you're in this cabin that has no electricity or running water, of course. Right. So they were running generators, and one of the only electrical devices that they had was a coffee pot, right? That was one of the only things that they had. Oh, God. Dude, Bruce, before he put these contact lenses in, would turn on the coffee pot and run his fingers underneath the boiling water oh, that would be God. percolating out of the fucking coffee pot. Just to clean Jesus. his fingers so he could put these contact lenses in. Dude, this is insane shit. This is insane what these people did. Do you think Bruce Campbell from that moment until the not-too-distant future was just setting up his greatest art heist? Like, he was doing that to burn off his fingerprints. Oh, And he shit. had the... The rest of his career was to set up the fact that when they see Bruce Campbell on the camera stealing the Ark, they'll be like, that can't be Bruce Campbell. What if he's stealing the Declaration of Independence? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that would be so awesome. I want to see Ash versus the Declaration of Independence. Ash versus National Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it is crazy the conditions that these people went through man and i read in um it's been years and years and years ago but have you read bruce campbell's book if chins could kill i have not it's fucking great i should just mail it to you or something so you can read it it's really really good it's kind of a tale of his whole career but he of course has a huge section there talking about the filming of evil dead and he was talking about how, uh, again, of course, with the extremely limited budget and uh, limited wardrobe and stuff like that, there were some days of filming that he would be like straight up coated, like just coated in fake blood, right? Which was a combination of carrot syrup, non-dairy creamer, and, and red food, and food dye. coloring, yeah. Exactly. So he would hang up his shirt to dry in front of the fireplace of the cabin, but it was so cold. It was so cold that overnight, you know, he'd wake up in the morning and before they started filming, he'd go to try to put his shirt back on 
and it was frozen so solid that the shirt shattered. <laughs> I mean, what? that's fucked. It's insane. It's it's worth <laughs> noting too that the filming of this movie uh, it's really interesting and really ghetto and really smart in a lot of ways too because they filmed like you said they filmed a lot of it in Morristown and then several months later they still had some more uh, scenes to film so basically all of the shots that are in the cellar of the cabin were not yeah. filmed in Morristown those were filmed no. in several of the crew like Bruce Campbell and I think Sam Raimi's basements in yeah. Michigan they just kind of decorated them up and stuff a little bit to look like they were in continuity with the cabin, which is cool. But then basically what they did for the final stages of filming of the movie, which is mainly towards the end of the flick when shit's just going completely off the rails. Um, basically Sam Raimi and one or two crew guys and Bruce Campbell could come back down to Tennessee, but the female yeah. actresses and uh, what's his buddy's name in the movie? Scott. Yeah. Scotty. Mm -hmm. They could not, come back down to Tennessee. They were working on other projects and stuff like this. And so basically it was just Sam and Bruce and one or two other guys went back down to Tennessee and were hiring locals. Some of them were acting like Sam Raimi is in a bunch of scenes in a nightgown and stuff, acting as one of the female deadites. They were yeah. just finding whoever they could. And you can find them in the credits as I think it's listed as like uh, fake shimps or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and from uh, the Three Stooges. Right, Shimp, Yeah, exactly. And they just basically filmed with Bruce as the only guy in the movie and all of these random people that were just coded in makeup to try to look like they were in continuity with the film. It's just so fucking smart and so ghetto and so cheap. It's awesome. It's uh, That is indie filmmaking to a T. Yeah. I think we have to talk about the importance of uh, what happens in this story. Because mm -hmm. uh, this comes out in 81, which is after uh, Halloween. It's um, it's after Friday the 13th Part 1. And, and Part 2 actually, I think, came out a little bit before this, but hadn't been made before this was made. Uh, this is at a time where the American slasher is developing and the idea of the final girl is getting sort of solidified. Right. This movie has a final boy. Right. Yeah. That is a really interesting kind of spin on the whole genre at that time. The same. Yeah. It's the same exact type of character too. Yeah. The, the character responds in the same ways that a final girl would respond. It's just a final boy. Right. Um, so this is a really interesting take, and I, I think it probably has to do with the fact that Sam Raimi was friends with Bruce Campbell and he could keep Bruce Campbell there because in the, the short they made to sort of sell investors on this movie, uh, Bruce Campbell turned into a deadite and it was his girlfriend that survives or yeah. his girlfriend is. So like, yeah, the original I, I had maybe a, a final girl. Yeah, so... I think I think maybe it is just out of necessity because only Bruce Campbell was was there, you know, to to be able to shoot that you then end up with this final boy character, but they didn't change anything about him. I mean, in the future films he becomes more charismatic, he becomes more like badass, but yeah. in this first film he's just as hysterical as any final girl 
in any other horror movie before this. And even towards the first of the movie, like, you know, Scotty is definitely the masculine one of the bunch, and Bruce, which yeah. is kind of which is kind of funny because like Bruce has some of the most like hyper masculine features of anybody. That huge fucking cleft butt chin and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But Bruce through he a lot of like the movie. He looks like a Disney prince. Yeah. Oh my god, dude. Yeah. Exactly. And through most of the movie, especially the first part of the flick, he is kind of a whiny kind of low-key sort of character much like how a lot of final girls are in a lot of these horror flicks too the interesting thing is that the female characters are really the ones who get uh they they get taken over by the demon i mean scotty does briefly but the female characters are the ones that get taken over by the demon and use the demon's power the most Right. And Scotty is this hypermasculine character, but like all of his hypermasculinity doesn't really end up doing anything. No, it doesn't save him in the end. I mean, he does, he chops up his girlfriend, uh, Shelly, and he does have this great line, and the, the actor delivers it so perfectly well because he's talking about burying Shelly, and Ash is like, oh, Shelly's our friend. And the guy, he he delivers it so well. I can't deliver it as well as he did, but he goes, Ash, she's dead. <laughs> Shelly's dead. Yeah. That's it. Like, for him, like, he just chopped up his girlfriend. And, and if he were the final man, like, if he were this final boy, and then, like, he moved on into the second one and third one, there... It's not exactly campy. There's no fun. There's no fun to it, because mm-hmm. like from the from the get go, he's this hyper masculine asshole. Whereas, uh, you know, Ash is from the get go. He's more interested in his girlfriend. He's interested in giving her uh, a necklace. He want you know he's interested in romance and love. Yeah. And throughout the series, he develops as. Not developing in the sense of getting better, but he develops into this womanizer because he's so traumatized from the fact that every woman he gets close to dies and gets infected by this evil force and dies. So, like, he's unable to make these attachments. That's an interesting character development over time, whereas this hyper-masculine dude could never be interesting. You're right, though. That is a really different sort of take on the horror genre for that time to have not a girl yeah. survivor, but rather a guy survivor. It's a it's a pretty interesting, and I'd like to know more about why they chose to do it that way, or if it really was just that, well, Bruce is the only guy available for the whole filming. Yeah, I, I, I would say for sure. I doubt it had anything to do with choice and only had to do with the fact that that's, that's all they had. They had to go with so. what they had. I do want to talk a little bit about my Lord of the Rings theory. I don't want to get too much into Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness because we'll cover them in the future. I hope but there so. Are, there are elements of the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings that he must uh, he got from this first movie. So I'm interested I want to, to hear this because it's been so long since I watched yeah. Army of Darkness. You texted me about this earlier today yeah. saying that there were some similarities in Army of Darkness, and it has been so long since i watched that that i need to go back and watch this again but go ahead and tell me the details of what you saw okay so 
I have this theory regarding um, these movies and the Lord of the Rings books and Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Now, um, if you watch Army of Darkness and you watch Two Towers, it will become clear. Um, but from the beginning, there are elements that... Uh, either are influenced by Lord of the Rings or influenced Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. One hmm. of the things that I think of in particular that influenced Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings is the the necklace that Ash gives to Linda. Okay. That necklace is in all of the movies. That necklace represents to him his relationship with Linda. Mm-hmm. In in this he tries to give it to Linda and then she dies in the second one he has a scene where he's holding on to it and he has this flashback to his relationship with Linda in the third one he has it again and again reminds him of Linda and like drives him now this is not something from the Lord of the Rings books but appears in the Lord of the Rings movies Aragorn is given a necklace by okay, Arwen. yeah. And there are scenes that are so similar where Ash is holding and looking at the necklace. And if you look at the scenes, one in particular is when Aragorn is holding the necklace and having a flashback to when Arwen gave him the necklace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so similar to the scene where Ash looks at the necklace and flashes back to him giving the necklace to Linda. I can see what you mean, yeah. Okay, now, that's pansy shit in comparison to what happens in the second and the third. Uh, In Army of Darkness, just, I'm telling you, watch the scene where the dead-eyed army is raised, and then watch the scene in the first Lord of the Rings movie where the Urukai are raised. Yeah, they're kind of Almost born out of that, same. like, nasty sack from the earth. Uh-huh. Watch the scene where the Dead-Eyed Army gathers outside the castle. and Watch the entirety of that siege and, and scene. And then watch the same on the two towers. It's the same thing. Huh. The, there's, even, there's even the part where in uh, Army of Darkness, uh, King Henry is... Uh, sort of representative I guess of the the leader of the riders of Rowan and there's even a scene where right is like the the everything seems to be lost they come up over the ridge and come down the hill to take the dead-eyed army from behind like it's exactly the same there there there's a moment in um two towers where like it's raining and it's showing like the urukai in their lines and like you hear the you know the rain hitting on their armor and it just sort of goes down the line and then the last urukai like exhales and it's like yeah same exact shot of the dead-eyed army except they're not wearing armor same exact stuff it's it's uncanny how much you'll see in fact two things that i can point out that like even if you disagree like if you watched the movies and you saw those things and said i don't think those are the same two things that cannot be disputed one is there's a scene in army of darkness and this comes 
uh, this is so interesting. Uh, Ash has put together uh, gunpowder and he has it in a little bag and he hands it to the court wizard and the court wizard is looking at it near the flame and Ash like grabs his arm and takes him away from the flame. Same exact thing happens with Saruman the Wise and uh, Wormtongue. Saruman hands him some some gunpowder and and Wormtongue is looking at it near the the flame of the candle and Saruman grabs his arm and, and pushes it away. Same exact stuff. Huh. And there's also a scene where Ash is trying to like get the army uh in army of darkness he's trying to get the armies of men you know to follow him yeah and some of the men in the 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 rabble are like you will have my bow oh, and shit. my sword uh not kidding and that's kind of dead on yeah sam raimi obviously was taking some of this from lord of the rings but then peter jackson who is a big evil dead fan and also started as a horror director he took what Sam Raimi interpreted from the Lord of the Rings and then interpreted it, like, reinterpolated it into Lord of the Rings. And you know what, though? It makes sense when you consider that the closest thing that Peter Jackson has done to an Evil Dead movie is, of course, Dead Alive. And yes. I think that Evil Dead 2, which came out in 1987, and Dead Alive, yes. which came out, I think, in 1991 or 92... They're so similar. They're very similar. They have a very similar yeah. tone of being completely over the top and disgusting, but at the same time, very silly and self-aware in a lot of ways yeah. that there's no way that he hadn't seen Raimi's work on the Evil Dead series. There's no way. Yeah. It's, that is um, interesting, dude. Yeah, I I will have to rewatch the lord of the rings to catch all of it but i just as i was re-watching army of darkness i've seen the lord of the rings movies a, a lot i've read the books once uh it just was hitting me so much that it was like raimi knew the lord of the rings books and he was recreating elements of that like if you pay attention to uh throughout he is recreating shots and things from from great films he did not intend to start out as a horror director uh -huh. in fact like the idea to direct this movie to make this movie was that horror movies can be made for cheap and they can make money and therefore i can get attention to then direct the type of movies i want right and by accident he found a, a bit of an identity for himself as a director yeah, and, but that's also the beauty of it is that he didn't, he wasn't limited by uh, a, a palette that was that was all the horror genre. He mm -hmm. was able to take what he knew about film in general and and then put it into the horror genre. So you get like this. The real interesting thing I like is when um, Ash is going to give his girlfriend the the necklace and it keeps having these close-ups of their eyes which are actually like shots that you see a lot in westerns sure yes yeah, with Western like kind of gunslingers so like the the tension of the scene is like it's almost like these two are facing off against each other to decide like whether or not they will agree that they love each other like yeah 
So, like, he was able to take this, like, love of film and push it into the genre and not be too attached to, like, elements of the genre that he just didn't know because he didn't know horror movies that well. That is rad, man. That's really, really interesting. I'm going to have to watch Lord of the Rings and stuff again with those things in mind and uh, watch Army of Darkness again. It's been so long since I've seen it. I've got to see it again with those things in mind to see what you're talking about. That's all really, really cool stuff, man. That's all interesting stuff to think about whenever you watch this movie and watch his work and watch Peter Jackson's work and all this other stuff, too. All these other great things that came out around that era. So I'm definitely going to keep those in mind next time I rewatch all of those flicks. So what would you say, in summary, is how you feel about this movie, Steve? On a scale of a 1 to 10, how do you rate this movie? All right. Well, okay, so... I gave Final Destination a one. Um, <laughs> you did. I did, and and um, I've rethought it a little, and I've thought over and over about it, and I thought, you know what? I'm fine with Final Destination being my floor. Okay, that's the uh, bottom. Yeah, Final Destination is my floor. Uh, and so... I, I have trouble now because I, I have given a 10 to some other movies in the mouth of madness, for instance. Mm -hmm. And this movie is so like ingrained in me and I have such affection for it. It's hard for me to uh, look at it entirely objectively, but I'm, I'm just going to go off of the fact that I, I don't think this movie is as good as, the movies I have given a 10. Mm -hmm. I think this movie will always have a 10 in my heart, mm -hmm. but the rape scene is unnecessary. I don't like it. Um, the acting is amazing, especially considering what it is. Yeah. Like, um, but it, it's not the best at times. Right. Um, Likes and dislikes. I, what do you got as far okay, as I like and a right. dislike? Here's what this. I like. Here's what I like about this is that it establishes a mythology but doesn't waste time explaining it to us. Yeah, I uh, like that too. There's not too much exposition. It's, it's great. The 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 creep factor begins from the moment this movie starts. It is creepy in every moment, and the people in the movie respond exactly how I think I would respond in those situations. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is an effective horror movie in that way. It never lets up. It never drags. Um, I love all of that. And uh, there are a few scenes I love in particular. Uh, the the card scene. We, oh, uh, we didn't yeah. talk about I love the scene that where scene. Cheryl has been, you know, uh, dead-eyed. And um, <laughs> I guess... Shelly and Linda's being very nice to Shelly and making Shelly believe she can actually guess cards. Yeah. But then Cheryl actually starts like listing off the cards one after one after one and becoming more like demonic as she does it. God, just That's such a an effective, scene. creepy scene that is so minimal. Like yeah. it doesn't need a ton of setup or anything. I, I really love that. I think in the end, this is this movie is for me. Uh, it, it's a nine and a half. Yeah. Like I can't, 
I can't say it's, it's like, any lower than it's that. It's so ingrained and and it, you adore it so much, but at the same time, as a as a review as a podcast, you can't not ignore the yeah, little chinks in the some, armor. Yeah, there are some chinks. There are some problems with it. That there are some issues that you know are simple. They would be simple to fix, but if you went back, like let's say if the remake of evil dead had been somebody going back and just fixing those small things yeah it's it wouldn't have been worth it right like because the things are so small i still think it's like almost a perfect movie yeah um and that's just that's frightening because it's made by a 20 year old and that's some college what i was gonna kids. say like, dude is like you know <laughs> A nine and a half is a goddamn huge rating, but then whenever you factor it in that, yeah, like you said, a fucking kid made a movie that is that near perfect, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. Now, for myself, I will say, and I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but I, I did not, unlike everybody else that grew up in Morristown... I did not watch this movie growing up. Um, as I said, didn't watch a lot of horror movies. You never had a substitute teacher just turn it on? No, never. Never once. Huh. Wow. Wait, did you ever have a substitute teacher? That's just an <laughs> That's aside. Just, where like somebody else's mom came in? Yeah. Just like, hi, I'm your teacher today. Your mom didn't even tell you about it because that's how substitute teachers worked in public school. You usually didn't know it was going to happen. And I'm just like, like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, who is this lady? She's like, get out your book. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Does that count too when like you bust open the door in your parents' room and your dad is banging like some other woman and she's like, hello? (laughs) (laughs) Substitute mom. Is that that the same? Sorry. (laughs) Be sure not to tell your mom about this. (laughs) (laughs) So I never watched this movie growing up. It was one of those ones that I heard basically everybody that i know talk about that you know oh man that horror movie that was filmed in morristown oh yeah that was filmed around here yada yada one of the scariest movies ever um but i never watched it so i think that i watched this movie for the first time in my early mid-20s i would say is when i saw this for the first time so i i watched this movie without the nostalgia factor that basically everybody else does so yeah. Maybe I'm a little bit more objective. I don't know. I hope so. Um, but that being said, I, I absolutely love this movie, and I love watching this movie with people who have never seen it. You know, anytime I meet somebody who's never seen this movie, it's like, oh, let's watch this movie together just so I can see what you think of it and see your reactions to it. Um, obviously, I love that it's part of the hometown heritage and hometown culture and stuff like that, knowing that that was filmed you know, on the same road that I used to deliver many a pizza to back in my pizza delivery days. That's pretty cool. That's a part of our, our claim to fame as a town. And that, I think that that's a really, really neat thing. Um, it's unbelievable the technical merit that Sam Raimi put on display. Like I said, whether it be the special effects or the camera shots or the soundtrack stuff, the pacing of the movie and as it kind of spins progressively more and more out of control and it gets more surreal and insane that's one of my favorite aspects of this movie is just how it just spirals out of control over the course of the movie i really 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 like that effect and that's very effective in a in a horror movie and i wish more people did that i feel like mouth of badness kind of does that too where it just gets progressively weirder 
Um, I really like that element too. And there's a lot of things in this movie that are just flat out weird and spooky. Like you said, the, the, the card calling scene. And I really like the scene in there too, where, um, early in the movie, chick is sitting there drawing the picture of the clock. And then like her hand goes out of control and starts drawing the book of the dead, the skin coated book, the book that has a human face on the cover. I really like yeah. that. I think that is yeah. a cool because she's like God, out of control. So cool. yeah. Her face is like fearful and her hand is shaking and the pencil is like cutting through the paper and stuff yeah. to, to draw this book. And at the time, you don't even know what it is. You're like, what is this fucking square face thing that she's drawing? Uh, but then it turns out to be, of course, the Book of the Dead. Really, really cool, very effective stuff. I, I really love too the the deadite chick in the in the cellar, who's just basically there the whole movie, just pissing you off. Like she is basically like yeah. the movie. Well, that's equivalent. Cheryl, right? Yeah, that's Cheryl, right? And yeah, she is yeah. down there basically being the zombie equivalent of like the dog in Duck Hunt for NES, just there <laughs> just to piss you off. <laughs> and mock you because she just constantly is down there banging on the door and screaming and insulting and stuff. It's like psychologically, it's like it psychologically wears you down in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that's a really hard element to do in a movie really, really effectively without making it annoying or cheesy or overtly obvious, you know? Yeah. Um, like you said, there. There are some little faults. Yeah, the tree ape thing is pretty unnecessary to the story. There's some holes about the whole mythology of the of the deadites and how you get infected and stuff like that. But it, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal to me because the movie is just so enjoyable to watch. And especially after you learn about the process of how it was made, I feel like it makes you enjoy the movie 10 times more, you know, knowing that, like you said, they were crashing through glass. They were shooting actual guns. They were getting scraped up by sticks and sleeping in 10 degree weather. And yeah, it, it was just terrible the way that they filmed this movie. And it makes you appreciate it. I think a whole lot more to know the sacrifice that these people put into it. So a really enjoyable movie, a vital part of film history, and just another one of those flicks that that goes down in history that shows you that some of the most important and influential pieces of art and pieces of film are the ones that are entirely self-financed, self-produced. They don't have a, a you know a budget. They don't have a studio over their shoulder telling them what they can and cannot do. <laughs> I'm talking about movies like Clerks. I'm talking about movies yeah. um, like Halloween and countless other independent movies that have you know thrived and been extremely successful because they were nothing but a director and a writer's view of exactly the movie that they wanted to make. It should just go to show you that a lot of times these studios or these record producers or whatever should just lay the fuck off and let the yeah. artists do what they want to do and put out the idea that they have in their minds mm -hmm. because look how many great things have been accomplished as a result of that. Now, that's not to say that's always the right way to go. There are some artists that have benefited greatly from calls from studios like numerous Ridley Scott projects, 
<laughs> I think I think uh, just to not to interrupt, but to add to what you're saying, I I think maybe as audiences we have to become more savvy and recognize that like the the big like hundreds of millions of dollar budget movie that's that's the movie they're making to make enough money to justify the fact that they're funding these art projects right at the same time funding these art projects are how they started and how they made the little bits and little bits of money that led up to them being able to make the bigger project that then made them bigger money so they can eventually make it so that you can see Iron Man on on screen, right? Like, like uh, uh, as audiences, we have to become savvy and recognize, like, um, you know, some of these these like lower budget, tiny little movies. These are the ones we want to see and we want studios to make. And if we want them to do that, we have to also accept Transformers' newest. <laughs> iteration like <laughs> you're you're totally right man you're totally right so these kinds of projects don't get off the ground without some big old blockbuster sort of padding the way for them sometimes so that's very very true man i would say overall i have to give this movie a, I, i'm gonna give it a nine out of ten it's not perfect <laughs> and it's not i'm not gonna tell you that it's the most fun that i ever have watching a horror movie um, but <laughs> it is an absolute classic and a must watch for anybody who is not only a horror movie fan, but just a fan of film history and independent film in general, really historic. Be sure to go on YouTube and watch as many of the making of featurettes and stuff as you can. There's some good ones on the DVD as well, but there's all kinds of cool ones that people have put together on YouTube, interviewing members of the cast and crew, talking about their experiences working on this movie and stuff. So I highly recommend you guys go in there and check those out. So yeah, really cool one, man. I was I was really happy to talk about this movie with you today, Steve. What uh, what do you want to do here on the show? Maybe next week, there, Steve. Well, I think it's high time we we did an anthology. Yes. The horror genre is is perfect for anthology movies and there have been so many great horror anthology films so we're gonna do tales from the dark side which is one that i've always really liked hell yes i love that one man that's a really cool one that's got some really neat uh stories in there and written by some very 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 talented people and some very cool special effects are out there as well so i look forward to covering that there with you man now in the meantime steve where can they find us on them social medias? Well, uh, predominantly on Instagram, but also on Twitter, at DeadLovelyPod. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. We have a pretty good group there. And uh, you can always email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. Yeah, please drop us your suggestions for future episodes, movies that you guys would like to see. We do stuff from all different... Uh, subgenres of horror, all different decades and stuff. So if there's something that you guys have seen recently, older new that you like to hear us yak about, please let us know. You guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars. Steve, where, where can they find your personal shit? Uh, at Steven Spratling. That's Steven with a V, the only way to spell it. El Excelente. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, be sure to go on iTunes, write us a review. And uh, leaves a good rating. Helps us out a ton. 
And like I said, drop us some suggestions of what you would like to hear next. We will be seeing you guys next week, talking about one of our favorite horror anthologies. And uh, in the meantime, you guys have just been so damn wonderful. And we have been dead and lovely. Goodbye, y'all. Bye-bye.